Hello, and welcome to the Free Mind Podcast with Seth and Nerva Reddy. This is Stephen Robles, and we're glad to be back after a short hiatus. We have an incredible series of episodes coming in the next few months talking about God and government and kind of all that's going on in culture as well. This week on the podcast, we have special guest Douglas Van Dorn, and he's going to talk with us about QAnon, pandemic, and just general conspiracy theories. It's a really interesting episode, and we have some bonus content in the Patreon this week. And if you haven't yet subscribed to our Patreon, you get bonus episodes with many of our guests, some Q&As, and if you support the show with any amount per month, you get access to that entire back catalog as well as new bonus episodes as they're released. So you can check that out at patreon.com slash freemindfm. And before we jump into the episode, we want to remind you of our longtime sponsor. We love them, impact360.org. It's an incredible program, and they have online courses that are there to help train high school and college-age students and adults in things like truth, worldview, and defending the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those online courses are incredible, and you can find them at impact360.org. And if you use the promo code FREEMIND, you can actually get $25 off any of those online courses. So we encourage you to check that out. And if you have a high school senior that is thinking about going to college maybe next year, we encourage you to check out their gap year program. It's a nine-month program where your students actually go to the Impact 360 Institute and get trained in Christian apologetics, learn how to defend a biblical worldview, and they are ready to engage with culture as they go off to college and university. So I encourage you to check that out. You can actually get your application fee waived with the promo code FREEMIND. So check out the gap year program and those online courses at Impact. 360.org. And now here's this week's episode with special guest Douglas Van Dorn. Well, welcome folks to the Free Mind Podcast. Um, we are we are masked up here for the conspiracy theory episode, and partially because you know the uh the COVID uh you know the whole deal here, but we also want to keep our 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 special guest identity under wraps because if it gets out, there's no telling what's going to happen to him and in our channel. So, <laughs> but, uh, no. And, and if, uh, Steven, if you want to try to throw on, why don't you throw on uh, some, uh, conspiracy theory yes. stuff here as well. Um, and post, and if you're not seeing that and, 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 and it didn't happen, then it's because you don't have eyes to see or mm. you should be seeing it right now. <laughs> but man, I am so excited about this episode because this is like, you know, for us, it's been like a, a process because I, I was like one of the just dismissed conspiracy theories out of hand. I don't even want to hear about it. You know, this is crazy. Don't, don't come talk to me about, about no 9-11, about any aliens, about all that kind of stuff. And, you know, so so then a, a few things <laughs> happened. Um, you know, we, we were Christian artists, so we, we spent a lot of time taking our songs to radio and we, we came to understand, you know, there's nothing nefarious, but you understand there's like gatekeepers and there's a few people that really make a decision on whether a song is a hit or not. And it's not really like, like you think. So you're like, huh, I wonder if that goes on in other industries. Um, then fast forward, you know, we have the, the Trump presidency, which basically exposes everything that can be exposed, no matter what you think about him. Um, you know, you get you get the Russia thing. You get the impeachment thing. Pretty pretty soon, you're starting to look at the news like, okay, what what is happening here? Like, we knew they were kind of left leaning, but we didn't know it was full on assault, full court press. 
Um, and then you start hearing rumblings of this QAnon thing. Uh, fast forward a little bit, the COVID-19 hits, pandemic comes out. Uh, and, but then we actually start seeing some arrests. So we're like, man, you, you don't know what to think. So right now I'm, I'm seeing all these kinds of things crum, coming across the internet from people that are promoting quote unquote conspiracy theories to people that are saying, you know, here's these crazy gullible Christians again. Um, they're just doing these conspiracy theory things. You shouldn't be so intellectually weak and, and anemic. And so you get this back and forth. So a couple of weeks ago, I'm, I'm looking into this. I'm, I'm trying to see how do we approach conspiracy theories just with, you know, more clarity and and just uh, you, you can find bits and pieces out there, but nothing like together. So I came across this gentleman's like one book. It might, you know, so I was a math major in college. I was the only one at my school. So <laughs> they, they called the math department and I stood up <laughs> by myself. That was his book on Amazon. Uh, the one the, the one book on conspiracy theories from a Christian perspective, and I thought it was such a helpful book that brought all these streams together that I just wanted to talk through really almost in order, chapter by chapter, and, and just get you to kind of walk us through how to approach these things. I think it'd be so helpful. And then at the end, you, you want to stick around for this because we're going to actually hit hit him with, okay, what Uh-oh. do you think about, <laughs> what do you think about this? What do you think about QAnon? What do you think about pandemic? Help us. And I'm going to take this mask off because I'm dying. Yes. Yeah. I can't but, take um, this anymore either. <laughs> Bye-bye. Uh, exactly. So, um, but then at the end, we're going to hit the actual conspiracy theories and apply some of the things that we yeah. learned from your books on how to approach them. So thank you, Doug, Douglas, Doug, I don't know which one you go by. Douglas Van Horn. Thank you for coming on the free mind. Van, Van Dorn. Van Dorn. Van Dorn. Van Dorn. See? I got to do my better research here. <laughs> and I knew that's that, a, Van Dorn. That's a conspiracy theory. Yeah, that's my right. last name. So. <laughs> I can call uh, me Doug. Doug is great. Well, thank you, Doug. And um, I want you to eventually, I want you to give them some of your resources as well. But why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background, what you've been doing, who you are. Okay. Um, well, I've uh, been a pastor in a Reformed Baptist church um, north of Denver for about 18 years. We started that after I graduated from Denver Seminary uh, back in 2001, and I was trying really, really hard to become a Presbyterian, and it just wasn't working, and I didn't want to move. Uh, So um, the church that we were in kind of sent us off to see if this would work, and 18 years later, we're still doing it. So got a great congregation, love the people. Um, It's a fairly small church, so I don't have to be all things to all people, and and, uh, you know, the CEO and a marketing guy and a counselor and it's everything. And so it gives me time to write things that I think are important. And this, believe it or not, I mean, I really do think that conspiracy theories is a really important topic that mm. um, is not being addressed from as uh, unbiased of a view as I, as I would like to see. Sure. And just, you know, to remind our listeners, the Reformed Baptists aren't typically known for being the kind of... Oh, my goodness, man. (laughs) (laughs) No. So so we didn't go and just get, you know, we're trying to bring you guys some uh, solid guests here. And and you really are solid. You bring a lot of depth to this. So just just to pop off here, then, um, why don't you tell us, how did you get into this? I know you you tell a story about 9-11 and kind of your original approach to conspiracy conspiracy theories as well and what led you to kind of research this more in depth um yeah it was it was probably five or six years after 9-11 and uh, had a pastor that I was talking to 
And I just made some off the cuff comment about how I, I thought George W. Bush was just such a great president. And he's like, you're kidding me, right? And uh, why would I be kidding you? Look at, look at what he did, you know, save the world from terrorists. And he said, dude, they took down the buildings. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what are you talking about? And as soon as he said that, uh, I remember in my head going back to about eighth grade and uh, a demolition that my dad took us to, uh, got to see it from the 41st story, I think, of what they call the cash register building here in Denver. And I, I went back and watched the footage of this. You can find it on, on YouTube. And I'm like, this is exactly what I was thinking of when I watched the tower fall live on, on that day. And then know so my thought was somebody just took down the buildings it wasn't a plane and then of course within hours they start saying no that's not what happened and uh it was terrorists and you know the the drumbeat of that was so often and so powerful that i just said yeah uh i i I believe you (laughs) well here's a here's a pastor that i really respected all of a sudden saying they took down the towers and so for whatever reason it just made me made me question and go, well, you know, what would, what if he was right? So then I started writing a book on, um, on the Nephilim in the Bible. I, I write on strange subjects, a couple of, couple of normal ones, but a couple of strange ones. And in that, in that whole world of the giants in the Bible, there's a, you run across conspiracy theories. Like the, the big one is that, uh, there's all these bones in the United States and, um, of giants that they found in the 1800s and 1700s. And, there's thousands of newspaper articles and where are all the bones are they're like not here. So the conspiracy theory is that the Smithsonian was this powerful organization that had people that would go to all of these sites and then the bones would just disappear. So the Smithsonian took all the bones. So for whatever reason, I mean, since I was a kid, I liked in search of and uh, these kinds of shows. And so I've just been drawn to the subject and, and um, I thought, you know, back in March, um, with all the craziness that was starting, you know, we all remember it. And I thought I've wanted to write a book on conspiracy theories for like five years. And I've tried over and over again, and it just wasn't working. And it just came out within like 10 days <laughs> at the wow. end of March. So <laughs> providential, right? Yeah, you it know, really I, was. I remember having that same conversation about nine 11 with some friends when I was touring on the bus. So that's, that's really funny. But you know, um, when I finished your book, I, I said to myself, I've got two groups of people I need to call and apologize to. One, the first group is those that I pushed my own conspiracy theories on. <laughs> and, or the second group is the group that I, the way I've responded to their conspiracy theories. So <laughs> it's so well-written. So I'm so glad to talk with you today. But you mentioned that you um, feel like conspiracy theories are more common than we think. Can you unpack that for us? Like how, how common and how'd you come to that? Oh, well, I mean, I think the very first thing that, that I have in the book is like this list of just all these conspiracy theories. And that wasn't even, you know, the tip of the iceberg. There's just so many of them out there that, that I've known about for whatever reason, just cause it's a hobby. And I, I like to look into strange things. Um, so that kind of just got me thinking about things like, you know, have there been conspiracy theories in the past and have any of those proven themselves true? How far back can you go? Is there anybody that's been writing on this subject? Um, and I found, you know, there's a couple of scholars and, and uh, some good work that's been done, in my opinion. And then I, it, my mind went to the scripture and like, 
are there conspiracies in the scripture? And even are there conspiracy theories in the scripture? So, yeah, I mean, I just, I think that there are a lot of conspiracy theories that are out there. And I think that, and and this was my impression back in March, and it's only gotten more confirmed in the last four or five months that uh, what's happening in 2020 is just so beyond the pale weird that Mm. it's, it's, um, it's like just this hotbed of fertile soil where any and every conspiracy theory you can think of is starting to be entertained. And then sure. also, on the other hand, there, uh, there's some real pushback from some pretty important Christians to basically say, don't you ever think about any conspiracy theory ever in your life. And I find that pretty troubling, too. Yeah, I mean, and that's what you said. I love this uh, part where you wrote, conspiracies exist, not conspiracy theories, but conspiracies. They are real. While obsessing over them can do harm and even entertaining them can have radical changes on a person's outlook on life for better or for worse, not entertaining them can be just as harmful. Yep. When people absolutely refuse to entertain even the possibility of conspiracy, they fool themselves. Hmm. And it can be dangerous. Like think about, uh, I don't think I put this in the book, but it just pops into my head. You think about the uh, 1917 revolution in Russia or something like that. You think of these all over the place. And and if you were not entertaining that somebody might be doing something nefarious, well, we all saw where that ended. I mean, Russia ended up murdering 20 to 50 million of their own people. And, you know, you, you talked about how another aspect of what Nerva was asking about as well is like how normal conspiracy theories are, like even stuff at our work, right? Like, <laughs> right. Um, you know, tell what are some like small level conspiracy theories that we all engage in every day? Oh, I mean, it, it, just think about like uh, um, the boss is totally out to get me, man. And and uh, then they start gossiping about it. And then it becomes this kind of thing that works its way through work. Or, you know, you're in a family and you have a, a one favored son and and everybody knows it. And so then they start working out this conspiracy theory of why the parents hate hate them so much. Or I mean, just. Those happen in ordinary life all the time. Right. And I think, you know, the, the hard part for people to actually entertain is but what could, how could that happen, though, on such a big level? Because certainly it would get out. And I think we're going to come back to actual conspiracies um, that, you, that you mentioned that after the fact they have turned out to be, in fact, conspiracies that were hidden for many years at very high levels. Right. That's sometimes the hard leap for people to make. But before we jump into actual instances, let's talk a little bit about the history of the phrase. I I like how you broke that down. We recently saw, you know, we've been watching these YouTube uh, videos. (laughs) And one of the common claims is that, well, the the CIA invented the phrase in 1967 Uh as as a way to ward off any any questions or a question of the narrative that they were trying to put forth. But you, you talk about that, but can you just give us a little bit about the history of the phrase itself? Um, so because of Google books and it's being so searchable, you can actually go in and type in conspiracy theory and give it a search section for years or whatever. And you find that the phrase uh, goes back to at least 1870, I think it is. And uh, you find it in, in courtrooms. So which makes a lot of sense, right? Because you've got two people that are fighting over something that's happened. And so one guy will say that this is a conspiracy theory that took place. And the way that the phrase was used was not, um, it wasn't malevolent. It was just kind of benign, but it was focused towards somebody who was 
uh, committing a real conspiracy. And that was obviously what the court was trying to figure out. So it's not like the CIA invented the phrase. That's incorrect. And I hear people say that all the time. Um, but it is actually true that they um, co-opted the phrase, that they um, used it to create something that w- it wasn't really being used like that before. So that today, when you hear conspiracy theory, like if you watch CNN, basically any hour of the day, they use this word. And it's always uh, this horrible thing that nobody should ever, ever think about. So it becomes a thought stopper. It becomes an argument killer. Just throw out conspiracy theory as a phrase and you've won the battle already. Mm-hmm. And that was very deliberate. Um, I forget what it was, the, uh, the document that we have that was unclassified in the Freedom of Information Act uh, that, the, that the CIA did. I think it's called Concerning Criticism of the Warren Report or something like that, where they actually come out and tell you. And I think I have that as an appendix in the back of yeah. the book. Yeah. yeah, it is in there. I would recommend reading that too. Now that's that's interesting. So you're saying that it was around before, but it was benign. It was it wasn't necessarily a pejorative thing to say. Well, you're you're a conspiracy theorist, or you're, right. this is a conspiracy theory. But the CIA took it and either weaponized it or subverted the use of it and used it as a negative thing to stop people. That's that's interesting. Yeah, and the Warren report. For those who don't know, it was a it was kind of the official report that they did after JFK was assassinated. And the whole point of it was to shut up conspiracy theories that were around uh, right after he was assassinated. Like, I mean, people have been doing this with JFK since that day. I I asked my dad about it. I'm like, do you remember when this happened? And oh yeah, of course you remember everything about it. And I said, well, did things like seem off to you? And he goes, oh, absolutely. Even as we're watching it unfold on the newscast, things just, it didn't seem right. But you know, so the government comes out and tells you that this is what happened. They find their patsy and it's all taken care of immediately and end of case. Well, people did not, they weren't thinking that that was, that that was true. Like too many things didn't add up. And so the CIA had to kind of find a way to put down the phrase conspiracy theory in order to, what they wanted to do was to stop people thinking about it and, and disagreeing with what they were saying. Wow. So the term conspiracy theory has evolved over the years, apparently. Do you have a, a good definition of the term conspiracy theory? I, I, I know it means something um, different today than it did in its origins, but what are your thoughts on the, defining it or having a good definition of it? Yeah, so it's made of two words, and I think it's helpful to look at both of those words. So mm-hmm. conspiracy is the first word. And what is a conspiracy? It's just a plot of two or more people to uh, do something in secret against somebody else. And uh, if somebody doesn't think that conspiracies are real, then they've got a serious problem. Um, as I'm, I know we'll get to it later, there's conspiracies all over the Bible mm-hmm. from chap- Genesis chapter three all the way to the end. So um, that's probably not the, the word that's um, too much in question. It's the word theory that's really interesting to me. Because you can look, go back to uh, Webster's, I think it's his 1828 edition. And he talks about the word theory. And the way, the first word that he uses there is the idea of speculation, which makes sense. It's a theory. So I'm starting to think about, well, I'm trying to speculate about how something can happen. But if you look at a different definition of it, more modern definition, which is ironic because this is exactly the opposite of the way the phrase is used. But uh, the more modern definition would be 
something that is scientific that you're trying to understand in a logical, rational manner. Okay. So those are two totally different ways of thinking about the word theory. And I, my opinion is that what has happened is that, um, you know, even if the phrase wasn't being used back before 1870 that we know of in literature, certainly the idea was. And um, conspiratorial thinking, uh, I found a, a good scholar that was writing about kind of the early American uh, thinking of, of Britain and how we came to be Americans and how they were terrible and, and then the British were doing that to us and they were terrible. And, and like conspiratorial thinking became part and parcel of what it meant to be an American. And furthermore, they, they say that it was actually viewed it as a good thing because it was somebody who was using their uh, own mind to be able to think about things and not necessarily just taking whatever somebody said as the gospel truth. So that's, that's kind of a, the scientific way of thinking about it. But this, what I think the CIA did is they took the science out of it and they turned it into pure speculation so that there's no longer, you, you can't be rational and think about a conspiracy theory. You can only be, and then they use these words all the time, a kook, a nut job, insane, uh, you know, and those kinds of words. You Watch, <laughs> I've seen like four or five of these the last couple of days, uh, Cooper Anderson on CNN. He can't stop talking about QAnon right now. And every time he opens his mouth, he uses one or more of those words. Yeah, that's, that is telling. And I want to get to those words because you list those and the sources <laughs> yeah, for those. Um, it's really good. One of the things when we started looking into it, some of these phrases that kept coming up and now it's become a joke in our house, but um, false flags, psyops, um, astroturfing. And, you know, I didn't really know what those meant, but you really clarified those. So let's just kind of go in order here. Tell us about false flags. How does this connect with conspiracy theories? Well, the idea of a false flag is that... Um, somebody's committing a conspiracy, okay? And you're not being told about it. And they're doing it on a big, grand level. So, um, it's hard. Like, I, I hesitate to know what, what should I say specifically about an, an event that I think might be a false flag or not. Yeah. You know, but well, just take, let's... take 9-11 as an example, because sure. a lot of people think that that would be a false flag. So, the point is that you find some extravagant, event that will change the course of history, really. Um, and it could be a smaller thing, like, like you, you create an event in order to um, have some sort of a political agenda driven forth uh, because popular sentiment isn't for it. But if you create an event, all of a sudden it, it'll be for it. And if you remember 9-11, that's exactly what happened, right? Um, nobody wanted to go into war. And then all of a sudden, ooh, terrorists uh, take down our buildings. And within a week, we had declared war on Iraq, which is what I would say was exactly what they wanted to have happen. So mm. you, you, I, th I think I put this under the category of a gray psyop, which is um, not as dark as it could be, but the idea is that you don't know what the source, the real source of the event is. Yeah. And they tell you that it's one thing, but it's actually something else that's going on. So, I mean, this is what Governments have been doing these for thousands of years. It's not like this is a, a crazy conspiracy to think about it. They write about psyops in their own manuals. Right, right. No, that's true. And that was surprising. That was surprising to see. Um, and, and just for those who might not know about false flags, where does that, that even phrase come from? Oh, yeah, that comes from pirating. So uh, the, the pirate would hold up the, uh, a, um, a friendly flag. 
<laughs> and then the boats would come towards each other. And all of a sudden, then they would take the flag down and they put up the, the Jolly Roger or whatever it was. <laughs> and you see the skull and crossbones and you know, uh-oh, it was a false flag. And so that's how the pirates would lure you in. And then they would kill you with the cannons and then they jump aboard your ship and everything else. Right. That's good. And you split those into three colors and you know, you talk about white ops, gray ops and black ops. That's another thing I heard when I looked up QAnon, I was like, what are they talking about? So, and you know, it's oddly enough in this day and age with the whole anti-racist thing, you know, if, if you talk about white ops and black ops, they're going to say, well, that's racist language anyways. But, <laughs> but what's odd, yeah. um, what's odd about the white ops is that that doesn't necessarily mean it's true. And so, but, but can you break down, give us just a quick understanding of what those terms are? So a white psyop is an official statement made by the government. And so someone in government tells you something and it becomes the official story. Okay. Okay, uh, a gray psyop originates in government, but you don't know what the source actually is. And then uh, I forget what a gray psyop is. Or, or black, I mean, a, the black, black psyop. One, you know, black psyop is partially or completely fabricated events made to appear credible to the target audience. Mm, wow. Yes. Okay. Mm. And we will come back to examples. And all these are three types of psyops. And right, you said right. that that's one thing I was really shocked when I began to go down the rabbit hole a little bit, that you really can just Google this and find that there's, there are military operations that are based in these very activities. And you, you, um, I think you defined it here. You said these are according to the department of defense planned operations to convey selected information and indicators to foreign audiences to influence their emotions, mm -hmm. motives, objective reasoning, and ultimately the behavior of governments, organizations, groups, and individuals in a manner favorable to the originator's objectives. So it could, you know, it could be a positive thing, right? It's like sure. psyops aren't necessarily evil in and of themselves, but, but put in the hands it could be used good or bad. Is that, is that, am I understanding that? Yeah. Properly? So that I think that if you're living in a good society and the idea would be that um, you would pull a psyop on your enemy country or something like that, but it becomes bad when you start doing psyops and false flags on your own people. Mm. And I, my opinion is that we're seeing a, a bit of that unfolding before our eyes right now. <laughs> no, that's great. Well, um, Maybe this would be a good time then to talk about, yeah, what, what are some examples of these PSYOPs, even historically or even today, that you think without jumping into, you know, too much of the details? Yeah. Um, so the first one that I, I talk about, and this comes from a guy named Richard Dolan, by the way. He has like a 12-part series on, uh, on conspiracy theories. And unfortunately, it's on the Gaia network. <laughs> so it's like mm. this new agey network. But I think you can, I think you can get a seven-day free free trial from him and then you don't have okay. to pay him any money but it's really <laughs> really good he was a Rhodes scholar until he started getting into the ufo world and not a christian guy but he's absolutely fascinating and um he goes through a lot more than i give here but he starts off with the burning of rome and nero oh. and so that the story is that uh, nero wanted to build this huge massive palace in the middle of the city and there was no land available and um all of a sudden, this fire breaks out in the exact place that he wanted to build the land. And so almost immediately, uh, people started saying that Rome, uh, that the fire was started by Nero himself. 
So this goes on for a little while and all of a sudden he needs a patsy. And so he figures, oh, there's a group of people that I think we can, we can say did it. And it, it turns out being Christians. And so this becomes kind of a precursor to some of the major uh, persecutions that were taking place against Christians right, right before Jerusalem was destroyed. Possibly, my thought is that Peter himself could have been killed in one of those. So, a bad deal. Like, and we, we don't know 100% that Nero's the one that started it, but we're pretty sure that Nero's the one that started wow. it. So, it would, mm. it would be a false flag, right? He's blaming a different group for something that he did, and uh, he, he got what he wanted. Wow. Mm. On that note, let's talk about conspiracies in the Bible, can you touch on some of those that you talk about in your book? Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so the first time the word conspiracy is used in the Bible is in the story of Joseph and his brothers when um, he's thrown into the pit mm-hmm. and because they, they can't stand it. And there, there's one of your little conspiracies right there, right? Um, mm-hmm. Dad likes this kid more than all of us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what they do, they conspire against him to kill him. And then if it wasn't for Reuben, the oldest son, saying, no, let's just uh, hand him over to slavery, they would have killed him. So they conspired to kill him. And one of the things I think is interesting is to take a story like that. And so there's one, there's one son that wasn't in on it, and it was Benjamin, the, Joseph's young, younger brother. And, and uh, imagine being Benjamin, and you find out that your brother's alive, and then going to tell your dad. Oh. Okay, so what would Jacob say? He'd be like, I don't want to hear any of that conspiracy theory thinking. He's dead. <laughs> oh. isn't, that what, isn't that what he would do? Yeah. So true. Yeah, man. That's so crazy. that's kind of the power of the way that a phrase could be used um, to hide something that was actually true. He really wasn't dead. But that's not what Jacob thought. And, it, and he, he, you know, it's like, how, how, how do you finally come to figure out that his son wasn't dead. Like he didn't believe it. It takes a couple of years for this all to unfold with the brothers going back and forth to Egypt. Yeah. And he finally says, okay, I, I guess I believe you now. I, I'll go mm. down there too. Wow. That's the power of, of uh, needing to have your mind awakened to something that's actually Ooh. true and how hard it is. Mm. Amazing. It's, you know, what's that quote I read that said, it's, it's easier to fool someone than to convince someone that they've been fooled and try to change their mind from mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. powerful, amazing. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and you, you in your chapter on that, and I just want to encourage anybody to grab the book. We're just kind of touching, so touching each point. It's worth totally worth it. But you have a whole chapter on conspiracies in the Bible, and you go through different examples and talk about even the crucifixion. You know, they had the leaders had conspired. Um, but jumping into you, you mentioned a couple people um, as you begin to. I guess, lay out how we can evaluate conspiracies. You talk about a lady named uh, Cheryl Addickson, I believe, uh, who was a five-time Emmy Award winner um, and recipient for Outstanding Journalism with CBS News. And, you know, I guess, I'm I'm assuming it's a she, right? Yeah, it is, yeah. And um, she said, um, you know, she asked questions like, man, what would you do if you discovered everything you thought was true was false and a, a carefully constructive narrative by unseen special interests designed to manipulate your opinion, a Truman Show-esque alternate reality all around you, 
and, and she goes on to talk about the power of propaganda in the news from firsthand experience. Um, will you just maybe, maybe briefly tell us um, what are some of the, I guess, what is propaganda and what are some of the items she says to be on the lookout for in discovering, like when you can kind of know, okay, th- there's a good reason to think I might be being uh, propagandized in this moment. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, propaganda is a way it's kind of like a false flag. It's a lie that you're being told uh, from an official source about something that's happening when it's not, or somebody did something when they didn't. So it's, um, <clears throat> it's fooling you through, uh, the medium of, uh, whatever communication medium it happens to be newspapers, uh, it's funny, there's a quote I found about Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson talking about how a person would know more about reality if he stopped reading the new, today's newspapers than if he reads them. Like, <laughs> that's, <good. laughs> that's forever ago, right? <laughs> so it could, be, uh, it could be our newscasts. It could be the newspapers we read. It could be um, censorship going on and uh, our social media platforms. I was, uh, I was actually destroyed by Facebook last week, 13 years. And with no warning, no reason, no justification, I was just gone. Really? Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah, I'm still fuming about that. So, unbelievable. That's, that's the propaganda. Like they they don't want certain things to be talked about, and so they mm. shut it down. Um, they lie about things that are happening, and uh, it's just it's not good stuff. So, well, that you know that, and again, that's what I think is opening people up to at least entertain it because we're seeing so many obvious examples yeah. of that nowadays. And, and even we posted something on Facebook just when the nine doctors, you know, we're talking about hydroxychloroquine. Right. And all I did was I didn't even, you know, I didn't know the facts of the case. So I simply put it up and said, you know, I, I said, Facebook, stop censoring us. Let us listen to it and decide for ourselves. Mm-hmm. I said nothing about the truthfulness or veracity of the claims right. themselves. Well, uh, they they flagged it that day, false information, and then took my whole post down as I was interacting with people yep. just, just on the nature of censorship. And, you know, when you keep getting that kind of stuff, you're like, okay, so th- this is something about the official narrative is is a, is a skew. <laughs> and so I think, I think we, you know, it, it would be to really shut down all critical thinking faculties Ooh, at this point man. to say, yeah, the official narrative is usually or almost always right. And so that's, that's crazy that I didn't know they took, took your um, post down. Now you, you also connected propaganda to, to Hitler's Germany and w- I've, I've heard that this is the case that even some of the peoples that worked for his, uh, was it called Ministry of Propaganda or something? The Ministry of Propaganda, right. Yeah, so they came over after the war, and instead of being put to death, some of them were actually put to work yeah. <laughs> by the CIA. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that history, and, and is that actually true? No, that is actually true. Um, there were hardly any people that were put to death in the Nuremberg trials. It was mm. a handful. And uh, we just assimilated... Uh, a lot of Nazis into every level of our society because they knew so much about, uh, you know, science and the bomb and the things that they were working on with uh, engineer genetics and all this kind of just all sorts of things. And so this was actually, this is an incredibly important thing that happened to our country that nobody knows about. And I tend to think that it was kind of when we uh, really got off the rails as a country. So it would be back in the late forties and the fifties. Wow. Interesting. And, and some of them, 
that were trained in psyops did they help develop some of the programs over here in that way oh yeah absolutely yeah interesting okay um well well here and you know you get into a section and as soon as i saw the title of this coherence and correspondence it 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 rung a bell with me because i was thinking as I was reading your book, I was because I'm I'm halfway through a master's in science at um, Biola. I've been halfway through it for like ten years, so I'm doing the slow <laughs> slow route to uh, yeah, finishing yeah. up here. Um, but anyways, um, I was reminded from my class in epistemology that the two two ways, mm-hmm. you know, two theories of truth is coherence and correspondence, and basically the whole process that we were learning about in this book is just it's it's really the scientific method. So you're taking, you know, comparative theories that are ex- mm-hmm. trying to explain the same data subset and you're, you're um, comparing plausibility between mm-hmm. each and, and you can bring all sorts of things to bear, but it basically funnels down to coherence as a necessary but not sufficient mm-hmm. condition for truth and then correspondence and then the best explanation of those data. And so in that sense, I think conspiracy theories done rightly can just be another application of the scientific method. Um, but can you maybe say something about coherence and correspondence and falsifi- falsifiability with regard to conspiracy theories? Yeah, so you want the whole point of this part of it was to kind of use the word theory in that scientific way instead of in the speculative way. So, can you actually, can a Christian actually think about conspiracy theories in a way that's meaningful and helpful mm-hmm. instead of just getting stuck in? I've read something and now my mind just wants to go in a million different directions. So I kind of just thought about those, you know, the theories of truth and what is coherence? Well, it's the idea that, um, that all of the facts make sense together. Okay. Um, that, that should seem pretty obvious. Like you don't want to, you don't want a, a conspiracy theory that's just got a million holes in it. That wouldn't, that would, why would anybody want to hold to that? So I think that, I think that a lot of conspiracy theories, even that aren't true, uh, probably have a pretty high degree of coherence. The problem is with a coherence theory of truth is that it can end up being a circular argument, and it can be a really complicated one. So uh, A points to B, and B points to C, and C points to D, and D points to E, and it just goes all the way around. But at some point, Z goes back to A, and there's not actually any correspondence to reality. It's just if you've ever seen the movie Conspiracy Theory with Mel Gibson, there's kind of a lot of this going on in his head. He's just he's just pulling from every conspiracy theory he can think of, all the things that kind of make sense in his head. So that's it's important that it, it's coherent, but you need to have actual correspondence with reality. It yeah, needs to sure. actually be true. And uh, this is where doing um, just work on looking up Freedom of Information Act stuff can be helpful uh, if you're looking into some sort of a government conspiracy do what kind of facts can we actually learn that is out there that they've told us about um not that you can necessarily believe everything that even they put out but at least you can do some uh, rational scientific investigation investigative journalism into thinking about uh the theory and find out if there's any uh correspondence with reality that's going on like the pizzagate thing is a really interesting one um for people that don't know about this. It's the idea that, um, and they're, they're mocking it for big time right now, uh, in the mainstream media, but it's the idea that, um, Hillary Clinton and, uh, John Podesta and his brother, uh, and the Obamas were, uh, 
probably if we say too much, we'll get this thing taken down on, a, right. on YouTube. You might want to actually cut this out, honestly. Oh, wow. But uh, yeah, if you want to keep it up, take yeah. out take out those names. So the Pizzagate thing is the idea that, uh, or maybe I should even not even say that, just the the pizza thing. <laughs> right? <laughs> like it's sad that we have to talk about yeah. this, but that gets back to the censorship and the propaganda. But it's just this idea that um, people are using code words that were taking place in emails to traffic children and to do even worse things than that. And you can look into this and it's not hard to find, uh, for example, the artwork uh, that's in the Podesta home. That's just incredibly disturbing stuff that, that you go, this is real. That's a, that's a real thing. It's not somebody making it up. And then you start asking, well, what would cause a person to have art like that? And, and you just go off on go off on that. So it's just kind of investigating uh, into something to see if that if if it's uh, if it's plausible in the real world. And then falsifiability was kind of the last main one that I that I talked about. And I thought about that because of what's going on with Q right now. Um, <clears throat> I thought, you know, and this was not mean. I've I've looked into it quite a bit since then, and and I'm I'm more confirmed in this idea that. There's such specific things that are being said that they can either be proven true or false, like right now or within a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. And I really like that uh, for any conspiracy, but it's very rare to find that. And I actually think that I don't think I know that it has proven itself to be true uh, several different occasions in very specific and and fascinating ways. So that's interesting. Yeah. And, and it's kind of the difference between like, you know, some, some of the um, psychics or tarot card readers yep. that don't really, that aren't like demonically charged. <laughs> so they're kind of given vague generalities. And then, and then the people that sometimes like, even on the prophetic end, you get it in Christianity as well, you know, whether or not you believe they're actual prophetic words, but sometimes you get stuff that's so specific, it's at least testable. And then other times it's vague enough where you're like, well, that it could be know. almost anything. That's a Nostradamus yeah, prophecy. Just exactly. like that. It, it could be anything you want it to be. Exactly. And so I think that's a good test. Um, and that's, again, that's, they like to have those for scientific theories. That was Karl Popper, right? That, that mm. talked about falsifiability. Um, when, is there, is there an example? Because I think what, what gets people sometimes is with any conspiracy theory, you're going to have like some correspondence or it usually doesn't get off the ground. Right. Right. But you, in some cases you get really low level correspondence. Like, you know, the, the fact basis is, is really thin. Yeah. And then the speculation around yeah, it is huge, is huge. And then in other cases, like the, the pizza thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, there, there actually is, you know, there's a, there's a whole spectrum of facts from artwork to language use to journalists that are getting fired over it to all this kind of stuff that, that do can be formed where the, where the picture is not so much broader than the actual fact basis. How how do you help people navigate through that? Mm. So they're not just kind of wildly leaping to conclusions on threadbare evidence. In some ways, this question gets really to the last chapter, I think, and just what conspiracy theories can do to you Mm. and, and what, uh, what not believing in conspiracy theories can also do to you, but you're really focusing on the first one. And my thought is that if something has just a little bit of correspondence that you can prove, and there's a ton of speculation and you've looked into it and you're not just speaking as somebody who's ignorant and knows nothing about what they're talking about, 
that's like a really key thing, <laughs> yeah. then you shouldn't hold to it very, very strongly at all. Like you should be willing to say, oh, I don't really care if this is true or not. Instead of getting so wrapped up in the, in the thing that it, that it ends up uh, damaging you. That's good. So, you know, rather than just like maybe posting stuff right away on Facebook, you know, if you look into it a little bit, you say, you know, Hey, this is, this is plausible. It has some stuff going for it. Just maybe being nuanced as Christians instead of just kind of wholeheartedly latching on day one. Right. We don't want to be seen as people like this is a, this is a legitimate concern that, that, um, I've read with some of these people trashing conspiracy theories. They, it is true that you don't want to be gullible and you don't want to be um, uh, showing the world that like you're obsessed about these things that aren't even provable at all. Um, they're not falsifiable. They like, we know almost nothing that corresponds to reality. That's not, that's not the way Christians should, should behave not only in public, but with their families and with their own individual selves when they're, in their, in their own minds, thinking about things like that's, it's not healthy. Mm. So good. That's good. One of the things you talk about in your book is astroturfing. Can you explain yeah, yeah. what that is and how that relates to this topic? How do we yeah. identify it too? How do we find it? So this Where is in that? Cheryl Atkinson's. Um, I highly recommend this. I posted it like a hundred times on my Facebook that no longer exists. Um, <laughs> Jeez Louise. <laughs> so Cheryl Atkinson and, um, it's called AstroTurfing and it's a TEDx talk. Okay. So it's only like 15 minutes long and it's just excellent. She, by the way, she interviewed the president just like two months ago. So oh, she's, okay. she's really, she's really a big league uh, investigative journalist, okay. but mm. she, she, she talks about how AstroTurfing is like this. They make you think that it's a grassroots movement, but it's not grassroots. It's a perversion of grassroots. And so you find it on like Wikipedia when you're reading some kind of like a uh, article on maybe a drug or something like that. Okay. And then it'll give you all these facts. Well, Wikipedia can be edited by just about anybody theoretically, but these pages, you can't, you couldn't go on there and do anything with it. Like it's off limits. And they have people that are paid to say things in these articles that are just not true or that they'll make fun of uh, something. So, one of the things she talks about is, um, and I thought this went over straight to conspiracy theories. They do this in astroturfing all the time. If you're you're reading something and all of a sudden you come across the language of crank, quack, nutty, lies, paranoid, pseudo, conspiracy theory, you know that something's not right here because that's a it's an ad hominem. It's not a logical way of thinking about something. So they're just attacking the thing and making it sound like it's kooky when the reality is actually probably the exact opposite. That's, that's the biggest one that I found in her, uh, in her talk that I thought that's just, that's really excellent stuff. So people can watch that. I highly recommend yeah, it. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll link that. that. We'll link yeah. that in the show notes as well. Um, it made me think of like, I've heard of this happening with artists, like where major labels um, they sign an artist, but they put them through the indie artist. Like they make them look like hmm. this undiscovered, um, not person, but they put all this money behind it and all this marketing behind it. They're actually on the label, but it's like a ghost thing to yep, make them give yep. the, uh, get the swell that. of grass, grassroots. And it kind of made me think of that whole process. You also mentioned Richard Dolan's list and maybe we can link a couple of his. Is there anything you would want to point out from his, um, his kind of talk as well? When you mention ad, addicts, is it Atkinson or Atkinson? I think it's at, 
Atkinson, but I don't know. Okay. It's, it's a tough yeah. one. So she, um, you know, when you, when you talked about the quacks, it was funny. Cause I remember, and I will ask you about this later on, uh, the pandemic thing and the nine doctors, but the, the day after the nine doctors did the thing in DC, at, maybe two days after, but, um, Huffington post, I was seeing this, uh, article go around the whole web and it was saying the nine quacks. And so <laughs> exactly. when I saw exactly that in, right. in, in, in your, you're exactly right. In in most cases, you barely saw an argument against what mm-hmm. they were actually saying. It was all it was all aimed at the person, which is ad hominem, the mm-hmm. Latin for of the man, and which you know people that used to take logic class in college would know <laughs> that was a lot informal logical fallacy. But um, it's very effective, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but yeah, if you got that list there, go ahead and yeah. So he's talking about how to spot a false flag, and he gives just um, I don't know, it's like five or six, seven things, and. Uh, which are interesting. So just think about something like uh, a nine eleven or you know a mass shooting that you find. And he what he he points out that it's you don't want one of these. You want to have more and more of these. The more you have of these, the more certain you can be that something's not right here. So he talks about something mm. that's spectacular and emotional or traumatic and unusual event. Mm. Okay, something that gets instant media saturation. Something where the case is quickly closed. Uh, somebody is found to be a convenient scapegoat almost immediately. Mm. Uh, and then you have a decisive and negative government action taken. And then you have anomalies and questions almost immediately arise. And then his last one is, ask yourself who benefits from what is taking place before my eyes. Yeah, it's it's re- it's really fascinating because not many people are thinking about well, how could I, how could I think rationally about a false flag? You know, mm. they just either dismiss them as all that's impossible, or everything's a false flag, <laughs> right? And then they go off into speculation and things that might be coherent, but that yeah. might be it. Yep, that's, that's so good. good. Did yeah. you have something? Babe? Yeah, I think in your book you touched on how sometimes people um, enjoy diving into conspiracy theories to kind of imagine, um, uh, just kind of take control of issues going on in our day, managing it. And um, you also give caution to how not to be swept away. I mean, it could bring anxiety. We don't want to be that guy. We don't want to be that guy. And also in the, in the age of lots of um, mental health and anxiety, and it can get really dark. Mm-hmm. Like, I know when I've had too much of this kind of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and I need to take a break. But you really give great counsel on how not to let it um, take over. So I'm just thinking about where I put this in the book, and it was right after Dolan, but it's actually right before um, talking about what you're bringing up. And it's this idea of neutrality. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it's what you just said, Seth, that reminded me of it, um, that when you're looking at something that claims to be neutral, but it obviously isn't, there's some sort of like either self-deception going on there or a deception towards me going on there. And I've always found it interesting that, that there's a certain group of people that will just come out and admit, yeah, this is what I am and, and uh, this is what I believe and I'm not ashamed of it. And there's other people that come out there and they try and say, I'm neutral about everything. I don't have any agenda. I don't have any biases. Like you need to be self-conscious about what it is that you believe and you need to not be embarrassed about it because I think that I think that part of what happens when people get wrapped up in these things or when they don't consider them at all is that they're being deceived in their own minds about about their own uh, prejudices that they might have for or against a thing. 
So this is like a this is like something that starts before you even recognize it. So I think it's really it's important to recognize that people aren't neutral. The sites that you're looking at aren't neutral. There's this I don't know if you've seen this meme. It, it talks about all these news uh, organizations, and then it talks about which ones are neutral and which ones yeah. are right wing. Which it's ridiculous. Like <laughs> it's crazy. First of all, who made this up? Right. And what possible world could you say that these things are neutral? And it's a, a wow, like that's so self-deception. Good. Yeah, and I, and I know you're going to get to answering nervous yeah. psychology question too in just a minute, but before we even get there, while we're on this myth of neutrality, I think that's so key because that, that to me is the most deceptive part of the mainstream media is that they often feign mm. this neutrality and they, they write off these alternative news mm-hmm. sources that yeah. often these alternative news sources, they'll say right out, we're conservative news. That's source. exactly what it is. Like and they, it's crazy because they get to get away with it because we're neutral, right. but everybody knows that they're right wing because they admit it. And right. so that somehow gives them a pass. It's- and I saw that same, me- <laughs> I saw that same map that you were referencing. Cause a friend brought it to me like authentically, like, you know, look at this. Cause this is, this will give you a good list. And I literally laughed out loud. Yeah, like, I know. It wasn't, yeah. a, it wasn't a mental <laughs> LOL. I was like, you need to take, leave the names, take the chart and move it <laughs> like six inches and you'll have it about right. And yep. I just think, you know, that's what that is. Man, that's such a false flag that I see these days as people trying to pretend neutrality on these issues rather than just – and, and I'm thinking of like – I don't know if you – I grew up you know, playing sports and sometimes you, know, you had somebody's uncle that was the umpire of the game and on the other team. And, you know, that's fine if the <laughs> uncle knew – like if they were like, you know, I'm partial to, to my nephew's team, right. but, be, but because I'm honest – I'm going to intentionally not shade toward my nephew. Right. In fact, if anything, I'm going to err on the other side. Like you, you get those people and that's the people that you feel like, okay, you can begin to trust them because they, they're so aware of their bias that they try to, if anything, shade toward the other side and, and call even balls and strikes. And that's why, you know, I think it's such an important thing to realize who those people are, but sorry, you can get back no, to no answering. Well, you know, you're bringing up the idea of a conflict of interest, right? That's and, that's and I bring that up, I think earlier in the book where there's some real problems that are going on with our, with our media when they're hiring people that worked for the CIA or the FBI or, you know, name it as, as, uh, an, as both commentators or journalists or that, you know, these special guys that come on and they're the experts, like there's such a massive conflict of interest there and people didn't even know who these people are. And so they just kind of take them, Oh, he must be famous and know what he's talking about. And it's exactly what we're talking about. And then when you feign the neutrality on top of it, they can get away with almost anything. Ugh. Well, that, and, and you mentioned, I think it was operation mockingbird. Mm-hmm. where they did that intentionally. Was it in the 60s or something like that, 50s and 60s? Well, I think it's still ongoing. Right. It came, and, and it came out in, it the, in the 70s, and they were doing it probably between the uh, late 40s all the way into the early 70s, at least as far as, the, as what we officially know. And then also, you know, I have seen videos where it said the CIA intentionally, pl- you know, planted higher level people at Disney and all these yes. kind of high level yep. media corporations to even begin like gray ops to yep. form people's way of thinking. And they did this and they it's not like this is this isn't a conspiracy theory. This is coming from their own documents, their mm-hmm. own people testifying to Congress, Congress. And and so all you have to do is go back in and read the transcripts or watch the things or 
you know, look up yeah. the information that we have. It's, it's interesting. And people just don't do that. They're, they're lazy about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's much easier to watch, you know, the next <laughs> Netflix series, but, but yeah. So back to nervous question, not becoming that guy yeah. not getting pulled into the rabbit hole. You know, what are some things, especially as Christians, you think we can do to, to stay mentally healthy as we do entertain some of these things? I think it's important. Like this is really why I wanted to write the book. So, uh, and just I started thinking about the fruit of the spirit, patience and love and kindness and gentleness and self-control. And then I started thinking about what do some of the people that I know who obsess over conspiracy theories, at least from time to time and some, sometimes a lot, like what kind of things are they exhibiting? And I, I see things like worry and fear uh, and anxiety and obsession over things. and mistrust uh think about alex jones and mistrust he doesn't believe anything that he sees and then anger i think about alex jones with that too like the guy just he's bombastic he's an angry person people get frustrated because they can't do anything and like these are not this is the opposite of the fruit of the spirit mm. i think a lot of people when they when they think about some christian writing a book on conspiracy theories like this is probably what they would think about mm. for sure and it's and it's true, and um, it, it's things that we need to be watching out for. Which means that you have to be, uh, again, self-aware. What kind? What's this doing to me right now? Mm. And if you find yourself at that place where I, I just you need to step away, S- step back, get out of the world of conspiracy theories, and go, you know, go ride your bike and go yeah. climb a mountain and do whatever <laughs> you need to do. <laughs> yes, you so good. I, I thought that was really helpful too. You, you know, you just, you put it back in perspective to say, you know, we as Christians, we have the comfort of knowing God is on his throne and we really have to make that yeah. practical that at the end of the day, we can trust that he's going to bring, no matter what conspiracies actually go through, he's going to bring it about for good of those who love him called according to his purpose. And I like that practical element. I think that day, even after I read the book, I, I went out and just did something for fun. So <laughs> it was, the book was too much for you. <laughs> yeah, man, it was just too much. Couldn't it's handle good. it. Couldn't handle it. But um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. On the other hand, like, and this is the, this is what I wanted to add to the book. So that's what I think, this is what I think you'll see Christians talking about in their pieces on the internet that have been coming out. They'll at least bring that kind of a thing up. But what they're not talking about is what can not thinking about conspiracy theories mm. do to you. Yeah. And there's some things there that I think are pretty important. Um, I've noticed a real condescension in people mm. that refuse to entertain conspiracy oh, theories or that, oh, or that get, uh, get mad that, that anybody would dare to think about this one. And it's a smugness. It's a, it's a, I'm better than you are. And that's like, that's pride. That's not a good thing that it's creating in your heart. And maybe the reason is because you know, deep down that there are conspiracies and you might even know that something is really wacky right now. And for whatever reason, you've just settled on the fact that, nope, no Christian can't talk about this. We can't think about this. You know, and another thing is that there's a lot of, there are a lot of Christians that are thinking about this subject right now. And that I know personally, because like I'm one of the few people I know that has come out and and even talked about it. I get met letters all the time saying, thank you for at least saying something. I feel like I'm not alone. 
You know, and when you got people in churches and they feel like they can't talk to their pastor about these kinds of things, that's not good. Amazing. And to just be yeah. to be slammed and put down and how dare you think about this? And you need to just go read your Bible. That kind of stuff. It's it's very very harmful to people's souls. On a personal level, how do you handle um you you have so much knowledge into this topic. And so if you come across um information how do you, do you um, just kind of hold back until you're in relationship and there's a safe environment to talk about things? How do you let <laughs> wisdom guide you through? You tell some, you keep some. How do you use, are you let up the spirit on that or give us uh, some advice on how yeah, listen to, to share the, or not share? Listen to the spirit, but also use wisdom. So wisdom. like if it's, if it's a brand new thing that you haven't thought about before, I actually tried to do this with Q in the book. So I wanted to use it as a, as a working uh, kind of a analogy of what's going on. And, and I was aware of Q back in uh, 2017 when it first came out. And I, I looked into it for like a week or two. And then I thought, I can't possibly do this anymore. It's so deep and so crazy. And, and it's so time consuming. I just said, forget about it and uh, let it go. And then I decided I wanted to kind of come back to it and see what's going on as I wrote the book. So, um, my thought was, I don't want to write about that kind of a thing, knowing almost nothing about it. Like okay. that would, that wouldn't make sense. Come across and I'm not, I'm not an expert in it. And then I wanted to make the book kind of timeless. So if, if Q turned out to be real, the book would still stand up. And if Q turned out to be not real, the book would still stand up. And, uh, so you got to use wisdom when you're thinking about a conspiracy theory. If you've never heard about it before, if you're really new to it. Just keep it to yourself, do your research, um, and watch out what's happening in your soul as you do it. <laughs> and okay. at some point in time, uh, things, things, you know, when they get to the point where, where I think that, um, like, take the doctors, okay? These are doctors. This is their area of expertise. They know what HCQ does. They know what it's done for 65 years. And they see that people are dying needlessly. And they know full well that it's being called a conspiracy theory. And I don't think any of them knew uh, what would happen to them. Um, but they took the risk and they, and they said, I need to say something because it's not right. Not only is it not right, but it's, it's hurting people. And um, uh, it's something we're all going to have to be um, facing uh, more and more in the coming days, unfortunately. Yeah. And so just to kind of revisit the end of what you said, not being, not even being open to entertaining these. Can you give us a couple practical, like what are some things that would, could happen to Christians? Is it, is it just that we misrepresent things or could it? it Sure. Like what I've seen, um, what I've seen happen with Q lately from some very well-known evangelicals um, that have large followings is they're talking about things that they know nothing about. And it's, Mm -hmm obvious to anybody who knows something about it. And then they start slandering and they start uh, doing the kind of some of the things that I was talking about, like to people that are in it, they're saying things that are not true. It's, it's interesting because uh, some other guys were coming out saying that it's the people who are getting into conspiracy theories that slander people, because if it's not true, then you, then you end up slandering somebody saying something about them. That's not true. I totally think that that's legitimate. 
but it can work the opposite way too. Wow. If this thing is true and you're saying things about it that are a lie, that's not a good thing. Mm. So I've been, I've been actually really troubled by the way that Christians have been handling really most of 2020 from Q mm. to the, to the plague, to the rioting. Um, mm. We're not doing a good job of being balanced in how we're, how we're discussing these things. Wow. That's a really good point. And, and I, I can't remember if you said this explicitly in the book, but something that popped in my head or came from the book um, that was another way of thinking of conspiracy theory is to just dissent from the official story, like a, you know, an alternative narrative to the official one that's coming across, whether it's through the media or government. And I think when you put it in that terms, it, in those terms, it just says we need to really wrestle this out. And I think exactly what you're saying is people that do know they have looked into these cases when they see the church just buying gullibly into mm-hmm. the, the official story and then shaming those who don't, it really, I think for non-Christians, it becomes another reason to not trust sure, Christians. Absolutely. And for, and for Christians, it becomes a reason to say, man, I, I, I don't know that I could be part of this church. Like it just, mm-hmm. they ha- if they're missing it this bad on this obvious sure. thing that only takes a- two weeks of study, then maybe they're getting the whole cosmic story wrong. Go ahead. I'll give you a good example, a uh, church that uh, some friends of mine were visiting and the church had a meeting over them over masks and how they're going to deal with getting, coming back uh, to church now. And, and they decided they were going to go hardcore on everybody's going to wear masks. Everybody's going to social distance and all this stuff. And one guy got up and apparently he was really uh, gentle and nice and respectful to his uh, elders. And um, he just said, I just want you to know that um, some of us don't agree with this. And is this something that you guys could uh, rethink and, and take into consideration some of us. And their immediate answer was just to put him down. No, we will not. And don't ever bring something like that up again. So wow. yeah, it's, it's exactly what you're talking about. You know, the way, wow. I don't know if you, you want to end this part of the discussion or not yet, but um, yeah, we can, we can end this part before we jump into the, I think this is a good segue because uh, the way that I end the book is by, I get frustrated. Like the Bible says that we're all sinful. We're all evil. Every one of us. There's there's no one good, no, not one. And if that's what it tells us about ourselves, and then we're not willing to entertain even the idea that conspiracy theories could be true, how is that meshing with your view that you yourself are evil? And, you know, at the end of the day, the Lord Jesus died on the cross because we all had our part to play in his death. We all conspire against him all the time. Every day of our life, we sin against him. And that's a conspiracy against the God of the universe that I commit every single time that I sin. And if he did that so that I could have life as horrible of a person as I am, why is it that we as Christians have, in some circles, have become so uh, cynical to the idea that there are real conspiracies that are in this world that, are, that mean us harm? And that we are not allowed to talk about those things. It's, there's just a massive disconnect going on. And I think that it starts in some ways with the individual not internalizing what they've done to God. That's an interesting take. Well, thank you so much for, and like I said, you, and you have a podcast as well, right? 
Oh, we haven't done anything with the Paranormal podcast for a while. I just started one on the Angel of the Lord. I just oh, finished good. a book with a buddy on that, and I might, I might end up doing a podcast. Somebody's asked me to do one on do a few things on giants in the Bible. Haven't decided, but got a book on that. So <laughs> yes, and I'm I'm actually reading that one right now, and we're going to bring you back at some point to talk about that because it's really interesting <laughs> as well. I, you know, we've been talking about Michael Heiser for a while, and I know you have done some okay. work with him. And yep. So, um, you know, can you tell them real quick how they can find that, and then what the what's the best way to to buy your books? Do you like them to buy it from your website or Amazon or? Uh, they're all on Amazon. So it's Amazon does print on demand. So you just okay. go through Amazon, uh, and I don't get any money if you go to my. I haven't set it up to go to my website to get anything extra. So you just go to Amazon, look up, I've, I don't know, I got a dozen books or something that are up there and uh, they're on all kinds of different topics. Some of them, like I said, are very normal. I did a thing on covenant theology and a thing on the solos of the reformation. So it's not all, all crazy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And so, and we're about to jump into some really fun stuff. So if you're listening to us, on our audio podcast, um, we're, you're going to have to go become a Patreon donor for as little as one dollar a month. You can <laughs> hear the next, but but we're gonna we're we're hoping you really value the podcast enough to just go on and dig deep into that wallet and uh, give an even higher <laughs> offering uh, on Patreon.com so you can listen to the rest of this episode. We hope you enjoyed that episode with special guest Douglas Van Dorn. Don't forget, we have some bonus content where he goes on to talk about 9-11, pandemic, QAnon, even aliens, if you can believe it or not. If you want to listen to that bonus episode, go to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash freemindfm. There's a link in the show notes of your podcast player that you're listening to right now. And if you support the show with any amount per month, you get access to this week's bonus episode and all the past bonus episodes we've had with special guests. We encourage you to do that. Also, we'd love to hear from you on social media. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at FreeMindFM. And you can also like our Facebook page, FreeMindPodcastFM. We're going to be doing some Zoom calls in the near future with special guests as well that could be open if you're interested in joining those. So keep an eye on our social media as we announce those. If you haven't gotten a chance yet, We'd appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. That helps us get discovered by more people looking for this content. And you can actually watch this episode and our previous episodes on the critical race theory on YouTube. You can go to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash freemindfm. You can actually subscribe to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash freemindpodcast. And you can watch this week's episode and some of our recent episodes there. Thanks for tuning in. We can't wait to join you soon. 